you get out of it what you put into it. Through service to your community on things like advocacy for good policy, that is where your business will get the best opportunity to grow as a result of your membership in a chamber. The business community is in a state of transition, but it's not moving as fast as it probably should be. Our city has changed, having experienced massive growth in the past two decades, with millions more expected to arrive in the coming decades. Our city and county elected leaders have also changed over the years, yet the way the business community advocates has remained fairly constant. Our topic on this episode is about the business of advocacy and the advocacy of business. And we have two special guests who are here to share their thoughts. Our guests today are Christina Aldrete, managing partner of Aldrete Strategic Partners. Prior to that, she worked for the North San Antonio Chamber for seven years, serving four of those years as CEO. She also worked on committees for the U.S. Chamber, served on the board of our state chamber, the Texas Association of Business, and ran the Convention and Visitors Bureau in Laredo, Texas. Paul Basaldua, CEO of Versaterra Development, is our other guest. Versaterra is a full-service land development firm. Paul has previously served as a member of the Executive Committee of the San Antonio Chamber Board of Directors and is a current member of the Executive Committee of the North San Antonio Chamber Board. Both of you are longtime advocates and champions, and thank you for joining us today. So I'm going to start with a big picture question and ask, is the San Antonio business community and how they advocate a landline in a smartphone world? I think it's a little both. I think that there are things that the business community does very well in advocating for itself. And like with anything in life, I think there's room for growth. We don't always get it perfect, but the different groups in town that advocate for pro-business policy work together on a regular basis. And they really spend a lot of time pushing back on bad policy potential. Playing more defense than offense. Playing more defense than offense. So I think where we could grow is having some vision out there and saying, this is where we think all of our marketplaces are going. How do we take the barriers to that future marketplace out of the way and put our city in a strategic position to take advantage of the future? All right, Christina, how do you think? um, Absolutely right. I think there's a lot more strategic planning and a lot more visionary uh, looking to the future that we need to do as a business community, as chambers of commerce, as business associations, you know, and also, you know, the landline versus smartphone world, figure out how we can use media a little bit more, more appropriately, a lot more on social media, because that is now what people react to Where a lot people of times. get their news. Exactly. So I think as a, as a business community, um, we need to utilize that a whole lot more and figure out how to do that well. So you're both saying we're moving in the right direction. We just probably need to pick up the pace a little bit. That's right. So, uh, well, first of all, I mean, because would you both agree that the business community doesn't just advocate for business? Absolutely. It advocates for the community as well. So it's not, it's not the business community against everybody else. It is a... The businesses in San Antonio advocate for itself, for our families, for our communities, for our neighbors. Public safety, exactly. yeah. transportation. Yes. The, the airport comes to mind because one of the things that uh, John Dixon, who's chairing the airport task force, has said before is that 
when city council members go to a town hall meeting with meet with their constituents, the airport usually doesn't come up because people want to talk about crime or they want to talk about potholes or they want to talk about drainage or sidewalks or other issues that have a more immediate impact on them. And it's the business community that ends up advocating for things like the airport. That's right. Which is okay. Because the business community should have the vision of seeing what industries are the future industries of growth and how are we going to use in this example, the airport expansion to attain that growth, to, to put ourselves again in the position to take advantage of what we've already done, which is approve a nearly $3 billion expansion to the airport. And in turn to attract more businesses to our community as well and our region. Because most communities, like most companies, are not built on foundations of stagnation. That's right. Uh, or decline. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So a lot of chambers look at offering a wide variety of services. Um, Christina, you ran the North San Antonio Chamber. You've been active in other chambers. Um, there's a lot of uh, business card exchange, ribbon cuttings, um, what, do, what are the, the top Im, most important things for chambers to do? I think it, it, it depends on, on who you ask. The chambers have to serve a wide and diverse community of, of businesses. And so from the small to the medium-sized business, they are looking for that, you know, give me some networking opportunities. I want to meet more businesses that I can make deals with or that you know, give me some information on how to uh, meet with the city manager because I want to look at how I can get city contracts. So they want more of that networking, more a little more of that handholding. A really small business wants us to be able to help them with marketing. So how can you share my information on social media when you all are promoting the chamber? Or that's where the ribbon cuttings come in. You know, we do a ribbon cutting and, you know, it's all over social media because we're celebrating that there's a new business opening. On the other hand, you've got the large businesses that they already have a marketing team in-house. They do all of that already for them. They, they've hired, they have staff to do all of those things for them. The business development, networking, the marketing, social media, they have all of that covered. What they look for then is the advocacy piece. They want us to be their voice at city council, at the state, at the federal level. So very, two very, very different Audiences, just taking those, for example, and the chambers have to be able to make it all work for everyone. So consequently, not everybody's happy all the time with chambers. It just depends on the business that you're in and the size of your business, too. But as a chamber, you should always look at to your members to figure out what you need to be doing next, what your chamber members are needing today and then helping them to plan for the future as well. That's our role. The advocacy piece is just a very major portion of that because we're always making sure that there is nothing to get in the way of business growth. So, Paul, you've worked for other developers before starting your own business. Um, what were you looking for from chambers then, and what do you, what do you look for in a chamber now? So, same thing uh, at both places that uh, I've been in the development business I was looking for opportunities to serve the community. And what I've always found and what I've told uh, in the past, when I worked for chambers in the past, um, when small businesses come in and they say, well, what benefit do I get from the chamber? Uh, and I thought that then, and I definitely think it's now, think this now, 
just like in anything in life, you get out of it what you put into it. And so through service to your community on, on things like advocacy for good policy, that is where your business will get the best opportunity to grow as a result of your membership in a chamber or a real estate council or any other kind of organization like that. If your idea is to simply show up to an event and uh, pass a business card out and, and hope for a business contact, that might happen every once in a while. But I, get, I, I guarantee you'll get three times the amount of opportunity if you're serving on a committee pushing for, again, that macro level business policy that doesn't necessarily directly impact your day-to-day -day business. So I remember a mutual friend of ours introduced us. It was Priscilla. Yeah. And at the time you were, you had started a younger group and you were setting up a meeting with Mayor Hardberger and you wanted people to engage and understand what was happening locally and be able to get in front of the mayor. Yeah. Vision San Antonio is what we called it. Okay. Uh, and I, uh, Anthony Garcia uh, who used to work for, at the time, Time Warner Cable was our inaugural chair and I was the second chair. And the idea of that was, uh, I was as a young um, employee of the Greater San Antonio Chamber at the time, I realized that uh, there was no young people in the room uh, getting involved in the process. And so we started this organization to sort of get more young people to the table. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 it had its run. It ended and uh, a lot of us got great experience out of it. Mayor Hardberger was, was just an amazing champion for our group at the time. Uh, and he would just come educate us on policy that quite frankly, he was pushing as the mayor of San Antonio. And so it was great. And we didn't always agree <laughs> with everything that he said, but we always appreciated having the conversation and being at the table. You know, we were all in our, you know, mid, uh, early to mid twenties at the time. So we didn't really know much. A lot of times we have a tendency to glorify the past and to look back and say, wow, I remember back in the day we used to do this or we used to do that. And when you really look at something, it's not as rosy as you may think that it was. We tend to forget everyone has these fond memories of the 1950s where post-World War II, everybody was buying a house in the suburbs and had the white picket fence and everything was rosy, but everything was not rosy. When I think of the business community, there was a time when this town was run by people like Red McCombs, mm -hmm. Bartel Zachary of Zachary Construction, Tom Frost of Frost Bank, uh, General McDermott over at USAA, and Lowry May Mays at Clear Channel. But at that time, not only was, were they active and engaged in the community, but you had a city council that was more in tune with the business leaders maybe than they are now. But you had an interesting observation about the business community back then. Well, I mean, what was, um, so those men were all uh, great men that you mentioned, uh, and they helped our community grow during their time. And quite frankly, they carried probably more weight uh, or more of the weight of the community than they should have been burdened with caring, right? But they took on that responsibility. And so we should all appreciate that. That being said, the downside of that is that a lot of the capital flowed through 
that direction. And so as you've seen the the community content, continue to grow, you've seen businesses that have emerged that aren't part of those five or six big, big companies that we all uh, think of when we think of Hemisphere and uh, other major achievements in the business community. So there, th- right now we have a great opportunity to expand the number of folks that have influence from the business advocacy side, because whether you're an existing big business or you're on your way to being in a, a, a big business, we've got a lot of those in town and we got a lot of quiet ones, a lot of people that aren't quite involved yet, uh, that we, if we are doing our job at this table, we figure out a way to get them involved. So is it fair to say that there are fewer Red McCombs and Bartel Zachary's and there's a lot more Paul Basildua's? People who who are in business, they're successful, they're advocating, but you you may not have the stature that they once had, but you're still able to get things done. Yeah, by no means do I have anywhere near their stature. But yes, uh, I, I consider, you know, uh, myself and folks like Adam Blanchard and Preston Wolfo from Documation, um, other young elected leaders as well. These are all folks that are sort of the future of our business community. Right. And uh, and so I do think there's a bigger, broader group of people. The capital has been spread out a little bit. And so you have more people at the table trying to make an impact, which is a great thing. That's yeah, a great opportunity to to make sure that this is a kind of a clarion call for all of those younger entrepreneurs, the business owners to really, really get engaged and involved in what's going on with business in San Antonio and, and our region, because business in the region also affects where San Antonio goes. So again, when you compare, yes, Paul, go well, I was just going to say another important point to make about uh, emerging businesses that, especially the businesses that are, that are sort of run by uh, folks that are in their late thirties, early forties, late forties, is they bring something to the table that will, that we can take advantage of as a community. Um, you know, we had our like uh, SA 2020, it's like the visionary things and products that have come out of our community have often been led by government. So to have an organization of people, uh, young people that are in the private sector, because look, let's face it, the market, the government and you and I don't get to decide what the marketplace is. The marketplace decides what it is, right? So the difference is that some of us that are young and are looking 15, 20 years out to what the market, what the economy is going to look like, we're solely focused on that long-term play, not the short-term play. So under Henry Cisneros, uh, there was Target 90 looking at the year 1990 and trying to achieve certain goals. And then under Mayor Julian Castro, we had uh, SA 2020. Yes. And it was also the decade of downtown. So their focus was primarily on keeping downtown vibrant with attracting businesses downtown as well. So now I think you see a lot of that growth away from downtown, um, especially after COVID. Paul's smirking over here. So what, what, well, what would you like to say, Paul? I wasn't around for the Vision 90 um, uh, stuff that, that Mayor Cisneros put together, but I was uh, and very young uh, when Julian Castro was mayor. And I think that he was right on for focusing on downtown. I think where we potentially missed the boat was that, again, it was, it was sort of a government-led thing. Because if you had asked the private sector, which at the time I happened to work for a construction company who was 
really big into downtown development, the number one thing that was hurting us was that we couldn't figure out what was old and what was historic downtown. And we have a very subjective approval process for what is considered old versus historic. And, you know, for businesses, especially developers like myself, everything is a risk mitigation, right? And so if you're coming to town and you know you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on upfront design and potential solutions to, to go redevelop a building downtown, you need to know that there's some objective measures in place that tell you whether or not you have a good chance of making the deal work. And, and through that, you can calculate your risk. When you can't calculate that risk, it makes you less apt to invest. And this is unfair to, to those folks because uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, and and you can play Monday morning quarterback all you want. But I think moving forward, the business community just has to have a bigger presence at the table. The, the specific business community in that example would have been the developer community, right? So in Austin, this was an issue of Gary Farmer, a real estate um, and developer I don't know if tycoon's the right word, but very well-respected leader. The highest award you can win or be honored with in the Real Estate Council of Austin is the Gary Farmer Award. And so Gary started Opportunity Austin, which was the private sector saying, we want a bigger stake in our economic development efforts, and so we're going to raise money in the private sector to be able to do that. One of the challenges that you have when government funds all your economic development efforts is that it's subject to freedom of information. So other cities were saying, hey, let's go see uh, the proposal or the deal that Austin cut with company X. Yeah. And then we'll undercut that and yeah. we'll give them a better deal. For sure. And so that became a successful plan. And then Gary got together with Mike Lind and said, Mike, you should try to replicate this in San Antonio. Yeah. And I don't know Mike um, Lind very well. I've met him once or twice, but I do think that, that was a smart route to go down because it gives the private sector a, a bigger voice at the table. And to your point, it keeps uh, our competitive advantage, our competitive advantage in that example you just made, right? Well, I think the one of the first things that he did when he began to lead this fundraising effort was to be able to bring in top research people to figure out how do we stack up against other people? And right. it was a lot more categories. Right. Um, how we stack up against Georgia, how we stack up against California at the time. And, you know, who our main competitors are for companies coming into town. And obviously quality of life or quality of place, mm -hmm. as um, Jenna likes to say. Yes, quality of place, yes. Um, is critical, but they, they broke it down into 10 different, uh, who were the top 10 competitive cities to San Antonio? And it gave a lot of insight into where we stand. And, and what we were missing. And what we were missing. Right. Yeah. So Christina, when you go back and you think of, and, and Paul, you, you and I have a lot of conversations about demographics mm -hmm. and, and how things have changed over the years. But when you see how San Antonio has grown and we're expecting a million more people to move here between now and 2040, that begins to change the focus of a lot of the advocacy efforts of the business community. Everything from traffic to 
public safety to making sure we're providing services uh, to our constituents. Today, public safety consumes about two thirds of the municipal budget. Right. Right. And um, so that doesn't leave um, much room for anything else. But specifically, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was um, along the lines of advocacy, you did something that no one else in San Antonio has done. And that was um, you, you wanted a tool to use to be able to show city council members that, that they may not be as pro-business as they thought they were. Exactly. So we developed, I guess, our first one out was in 2018, 2019. Um, so we, the North San Antonio Chamber developed a city council scorecard. So the board and I came together and figured out, you know, how do we, how do we let the business community know how each council member is voting on particular business issues that would affect them? And how do we let city council know and make them aware that, yeah, you may vote, have a vote here and a vote he over there. And it may not, it may not be as concerning to you. And it's like, oh, well, it's, it's one vote, no big deal. But what we did was throughout the year, put all of the votes on a scorecard so that at any point in time, you can go and say, okay, they did something in last April. How did everybody vote? And so we did a score um, for each particular council district. And um, from zero to a hundred, from zero to a hundred and 70 was passing. 70 was passing because we did it just based on this was the vote and this is how you voted. It was a yes or no. So yes, you were, you know, with the business community on this particular issue that was concerning to them or, or you were not. And of the 10 council members, how many passed? One at that time. And I think that first year is when Councilman Greg Brockhouse was running against Mayor Nuremberg. Yes. And I think it surprised a lot of people that Councilman Brockhouse didn't pass. Uh, didn't pass. <laughs> exactly. Neither did uh, Mayor Nuremberg. Right. So then you did it again two years later. Right. So we did it again two years later. Scores have considerably improved since then. After that, of course, we had COVID um, at that particular time when we were developing the scorecard again. It was all ARPA money that they were giving away. And so there was there was no really business issues that they were voting on at that time. Now, the city council's court card, I believe, is coming out. This North Chamber will release it again uh, in the next month or so. I think it's before early voting starts, from what I understand. So we'll see how they... I have not seen it. So we'll see how, how everybody does with that. And Paul, this is something that the U.S. Chamber does on a regular basis with members of Congress. It's something... The state chamber, the Texas Association of Business, does on a regular basis. Did this take people by surprise when the North Chamber did it here locally? Change always does. <laughs> um, I think Change on the national good. level, in a way, and maybe I'm wrong, but just off the cuff, it would seem like it's easier to do that scorecard because you're not really upsetting people because in Washington, D.C., most people fall along party lines, mm -hmm. right? Right. Uh, in San Antonio, a nonpartisan municipal election you're going to have folks that vote pro-business six out of 10 times. Well, that's a failing grade. Now, I would argue that some of those people have been the best of our friends on some of the issues that matter more than maybe one of the, of the two uh, demerits they got, right? So, but I, I, I mean, and I, I know for a fact that some people were upset about it because they oh, were yeah, calling they were. me saying, what yes. the heck's going on here? You know, yes. as a board member, they were telling me, what are y'all going to do next? You know, and 
but that's okay. I think people have now gotten accustomed to it. Uh, people don't like change at first, but hey, I mean. But the, the irony here is there were a lot of people that didn't like it, and there were a lot of people that thought it was a bad idea for yes. you because the door was going to be slammed in your face at City Hall. Right. But the opposite ended the up opposite happening. The opposite ended up happening, yes. So then, Council so members now. members were calling you right. saying, how do I improve my score? Yeah, how do I improve my score? Or if there was a business issue that was coming up and they were going to vote on it, they would call and say, okay, help me understand the issue. What What do I need to know before I vote on this thing? What's the other, what's the other side of this coin? And so that's really the whole point of the exercise here. That's what we wanted to, to you, open that dialogue. With when them. you put it out, you didn't call a press conference. No. You, you made it public on your website, but you, you didn't make a big deal out of it. It right. wasn't intended to impact campaigns. You just wanted the council to know that you were watching. The council to know that we were watching and our business community to know that we were watching for them. We were being their watchdog and that we were, we were ensuring that any issues that were coming up, they would know in advance what was happening. And uh, Paul, in the end, isn't that what you want? You want the council to know that you're watching and to Absolutely. be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I think I misunderstood. In the case of Councilman Clayton Perry in the second scorecard, right. he missed it by, he missed passing by one vote yep. and he explained it was one of those votes where that has a double negative in it. It went back and forth. And the council will not not do this. <laughs> and I think it probably confused a lot of the council members. And so he voted what he thought he was voting the right way turned out not to be, uh, but it impacted his score. I think it worked out just the way it was supposed to work out because yes, people didn't like change at first. I would say that leadership is lonely at times. Those are the times mm -hmm. when it's lonely, but long-term, you know, you're leading um, in that effort to something that's going to be better on the other side of it. And that, and that's what has happened. Uh, all we want in the advocacy community is the ability to pick up the phone and make contact with elected officials and, and just give them our side of the story. And then we also want them picking up the phone when they don't have all the answers yet and right. they need somebody to walk them through. Ultimately, they're the ones that get to vote. It's their decision. The more informed they are in that decision, that should be the goal of ours as a business community. Exactly. So I don't know who the first person was that started saying we had too many chambers in town, but I, the person that I remember the first time I heard this conversation was John Monford when he was chairing the San Antonio chamber. And at the time he was with AT&T and his concern was how sustainable is it in a city this size for companies to write 12 different checks to 12 different chambers of commerce when many of them seem to look like they do the same thing, or at least they overlap many of the same audiences. So what we've seen recently is the South Chamber merging with the West Chamber. And that happened under Al Adiola, who has since left San Antonio and gone to Corpus to run the United Corpus Christi Chamber. And they changed their name. They went through a rebranding. They're now the South Texas Business Partnership. Former city councilwoman Rebecca Villagran is now running that entity. So then uh, more recently, we had the San Antonio Chamber and the North San Antonio Chamber sit down and have a conversation and look at whether they should merge. And they decided it was, they decided no. Was it timing? Was it uh, diverging focus? Um, Paul, what can you, what can you share about that? Well, so I, I'll caveat this with, I was not 
a part of the small group of executive members that were negotiating through that. Um, I will say that I think both sides were vo- both very well intended. Uh, the Greater Chamber, my understanding, has had every intention of doing it the right way. The North Chamber had every uh, intention of doing it the right way. What I can tell you is when we talked about it as a leadership group, it was it was a conversation. Yeah, let's go figure out how to get this done. But when you look at the details, the devil's always in the details. And so I think what we uh, ultimately realized is that the Greater Chamber does a very great job at serving their leadership, their board, and their members. Uh, it's a slightly different, not slightly, it's different. It's a little bit different than what we do at the North Chamber. The North Chamber tends to be more emerging businesses. And if you so to answer your question, timing could have been very impactful here because if you look at the executive leadership of the North Chamber right now, the vast majority of them have some sort of construction, engineering, architecture, real estate background. And it's not a, a knock, but in my experience, when I was on the board at the Chamber, we didn't have a big presence in that world, right? Um the same reason that a real estate council of San Antonio exists. Um, so the notion that uh, there's too many chambers, yes, maybe there are. But they each serve a purpose. But they each serve a purpose. And, and my other question would be is if you just had one large chamber and you got rid of every other chamber in San Antonio, how big would that staff be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, and then how effective would you be because you would have to pick your major issues, right? right? And the major issues for the folks that are currently in the North Chamber might be different than the major issues that are currently for the folks that are in the South Texas Business Partnership. So I don't think it's something that's off the table forever. I just think it's something that needs to be worked through. I think the opportunity came because both of the president positions at both of those chambers happened to be vacant at the time. Uh, and so it was like, well, this is an automatic, let's talk about this. But I don't think the fact that it, it quote unquote failed, I don't really consider it a failure. I consider it a, let's continue to talk. Right. Let's go find other avenues to maybe partner up and advocate together against bad policy and for good policy. And through that, we'll figure out whether or not there's a way in the future to make it happen. Well, which is something that we had always done, at least, you know, when I was CEO of the North San Antonio Chamber, always, always, if it was a big issue, if it was a state issue, even local issues, we would get together with our chamber colleagues throughout the community and say, okay, we need to be the voice here and we need to work together to make sure that they, that they hear us. There were times when Richard would take the lead and it was not something that Richard Pettis at the San Antonio Chamber would take the lead on an issue right? Uh, because you had other irons in the fire and you had other higher priority issues. And there were times that you would take the lead right. and he might not right. because of their priorities. Exactly. Um, I would say that uh, I would agree with you, Paul, that um, I don't see it as a failure. Um, might have been a matter of timing, but also I wonder if it's time to kind of challenge all the chambers and ask, if you're serving your members the same way you were 30, 40, 50 years ago, is it time to look in the mirror and say, what can we do differently? And back to your point, Paul, how can we better serve our members? Yeah, I think well everybody said. should be looking at, at 
how do we need to change because of politics, because the issues, everything that, that the community is going through now because of its growth, because of just the changes that are happening, um, everybody's got to look and see, okay, what can we do better? How do we, how are we more effective? Um, and so the chambers need to do the same. And, and to the folks that are disappointed that the merger didn't happen, I do agree with them. A bigger voice, one bigger, broader mm -hmm. voice is definitely more impactful. So for the time being, let's figure out a way to combine our voices and, and do joint policy and make really big impact. And we can then say on behalf of all of these chambers representing a gross number of employers right. and employees in city of San Antonio, this is what we want or don't want. Right. And that's, that's, you know, the, the whole, I guess, foundation of, of the conversation and of the, the chambers and their efficiency and their effectiveness is also to always keep in mind that your members are the businesses in San Antonio, but you're also representing the, each of the employees at these particular businesses. So, you know, it, it's when you have articles in the paper or in the media that say, you know, such and such uh, is against this particular policy, well, that employer is also representing his employees. They, they don't do anything blindly or they don't, they don't lead without bringing their employees with them. So it's, um, you know, it's something that, that I think everybody needs to be aware of that when you're talking about the business community, it's also not only the employers, but it's the, their employees as well. It's our families. Okay, so I want to talk about a model that chambers might want to look at. And that's the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, also known as APAC. What they do is they look for people who have the potential to run for Congress. And then their foundation ends up sending them to Israel to educate them on the issues that Israel faces. So that by the time they do run for Congress, they're much more educated on the topic and they're less likely to say something that is inaccurate or embarrassing about Israel or the countries that surround Israel in that region. So then if they do run for Congress, then the people that you are now advocating, it's much easier to have conversations with them because they're already educated on the topics that you care about. And I'm not sure that as a business community here, we do enough of that. I would agree. Okay. And we have all these leadership, you know, uh, programs, but uh, yeah, we don't do enough of getting uh, elected officials or potential elected officials in the room to say, here are our key, you know, here are our top five priorities for the year. We don't want, we want you to understand what they are and why. Well, and you're, you're thinking even bigger picture. I'm thinking of, basic fundamental principles. When I used to work for a bank, the trade association, the American Bankers Association came up with this, what they thought was a brilliant idea, and I thought it was a ridiculous idea, was uh, let's do take a member of Congress to work day. And I thought, well, this member of Congress, we've been working with for 30 years. They, I mean, we talk to them all the time. But what ended up happening was we sat them down and had them fill out the paperwork to open a checking account. Yeah. And all of a sudden that member of Congress got frustrated. It's like, how many damn documents do I have to sign? Yeah. 
And we explained, you have to sign all the documents that either you, as Congress, forced us to enact or or, um, all the documents that the regulatory agencies, whether it's the Federal Reserve Bank, the Office of the Controller of the Currency, or the FDIC, have required banks to put out. So in essence, that was a huge eye opener for that member of Congress. And I think that we take probably a lot of things for granted about what we think our elected officials know. And maybe we need to go back to the drawing board and. Oh, a great example is the uh, construction heat ordinance that uh, (laughs) was proposed by a former council person. Um, And it, it asks that every four hours uh, a construction worker in the field would have a water break. And when the announcement was made, there was a big PR announcement and you had the union folks out there. Um, and so you, so you, if you're just um, an innocent bystander hearing that, you're thinking, gosh, there's construction companies out there that, that don't let their people take drink water, water yeah. break. <laughs> or sit in the shade for 10 minutes. And the truth of the matter is a water break every four hours in August is inhumane. Exactly. So the policy is flawed from the very beginning. Well, not just that, but a lot of these companies are already covered under OSHA and other uh, federal regulations. Okay. So take the logic out of it and and, and just apply what actually happens. If we had a take your council person to work day, that day, what they would have seen is that Labor is the most important commodity of the next 15 years. Exactly. In construction, it's already been the most important commodity of the past five to 10 years. And so the last thing you're going to do is lose employees by not giving them breaks, right? It's inhumane to think that in the middle of August that an employee only gets a water break once every four hours, okay? Especially those folks that are in trenches laying pipe in the ground, uh, and, and shoveling gravel, right. For the pipe bedding, that's hard, hard work. They're going to take breaks way more often than that. Uh, and the other funny part of that policy was if you were a bad business, the way you would respond to this is, oh, well, you know, you start at eight, uh, at 12, you get a lunch break and we'll give you one break. That's different at four o'clock every four hours, right? <laughs> so, that's crazy. so, so the devil's in the details, but if you actually go out and you look at, at, Uh, Again, the marketplace, in this case, the labor marketplace tells us what we can and can't do. And the good businesses, the private businesses, the ones that will flourish and have more and more employees are going to do what it takes to keep their labor force intact. And to take care of them. And that's, that's the thing I think that we've been seeing more and more probably over the last five years is, you know, just like the, the heat policy or uh, labor peace agreements, you know, attempts to enact things like that by ordinance that come from other states, New York, California, that, you know, in California, you don't need to drink water every five minutes because it's not 105 degrees outside, you know, but we're seeing a whole lot more of that, a a, a whole lot more discussion through the city council or through somebody trying to push through an ordinance that doesn't necessarily apply in San Antonio, much less, much less the state. It just, it, it doesn't work here. So the labor peace agreement, um, since you mentioned that, paid sick leave, Chick-fil-A, yeah. banning Chick-fil-A from the airport, those kinds of issues, um, Paul, I think you said at the outset that we're playing more defense than offense. Mm-hmm. And so what we've seen lately 
um, is the business community began to transition and to beef up and to be able to use uh, tools. This podcast is about the intersection of business, public policy, and politics. And I think we're now seeing that in San Antonio, that intersection, and a lot more people from the business community in that intersection. One of those groups is the San Antonio Equity Alliance, and another group is Better SA, and a third temporary group is the San Antonio Safe Coalition. So San Antonio Safe, uh, I am a co-chair of that effort. It's a specific purpose political action committee that will cease to be after the May 6th election, and it's designed solely to defeat Proposition A. Better SA is more of a long-term approach that is from the real estate industry, and they want to have an impact on council races as well as issues. Christina, you're on the board of the San Antonio Equity Alliance, and Correct. I think there are, there are two components to that. Yes, there's a C4 component, and then there's the, the PAC component to that. So what we're primarily doing from the PAC side is um, raising money to be able to um, support those city council people who we feel are have the best interest of the whole community in mind, not just in their district, but the businesses in their districts as well. So um, not just supporting members of the council, but also candidates for council. Candidates for council as well. Okay. Yes. And um, I know that um, Better SA is uh, made up primarily of, I think, the real estate um, industry and um, construction and development. And Paul, how do you feel about the formation of these kinds of groups to engage? It does, it does this um, appear to be doing what you were talking about earlier, allow the business community to go more on offense? Yeah, I, I think it definitely uh, is a good thing for the business community. I mean, there's been, um, so I, I think the, the, the organizations that, that, are, that you just mentioned, the ones that are going to be most effective are the ones that do not follow a politi- political ideology. Right. Um, because we've already seen these packs on the quote unquote other side of the aisle and they do follow political ideology. And so I think in San Antonio, where we are as a community is that we tend to lean progressive. And so in order for these packs to be impactful, they're going to have to focus on pragmatism and measured, measurable growth and progress. And uh, when you have measured and slower growth and in, in quote unquote progress, and I don't mean progress like progressive in the political term, I just mean growth in your economy. When you have a uh, uh, sustainable change, uh, it allows you to, again, uh, de-risk. You, you know, you have a better calculation of risk. When you make changes overnight that are night and day, you get unintended consequences. And that's where bad policy is, right? And so then it becomes this, back and forth, you know, a uh, uh, ping pong game between bad policy on this side and then bad policy as a response to it. So, but I am, I do think that these organizations are going to be very impactful. I do think that um, everything that I, I've heard and read in the newspapers is that they're uh, raising quite a bit of money. So. Well, and it's important to know too, that they're, the reason they're raising quite a bit of money is because they're raising money from every political party. They're, they are nonpartisan organizations. And so they are here to, for um, candidates and for issues, but 
to Paul's point, city council candidates are should be nonpartisan. Um, some of them let their let their flag fly a little bit every once in a while, but you know a pothole is not Democrat or Republican. Um, you know, neither is drainage, neither are any of the projects that they that they have to work on and to make sure that the city is 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 ready and prepared to address the growth that's to come. I think the other part of this is that they need to, I mean, sometimes you get caught in the middle of the trees and you, you forget about the forest, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I think it's going to be very important that people uh, continue to think about staying focused on business issues because if you've looked at, you know, we can talk about a little bit of politics here, but there's a gentleman who's the governor of Arkansas. Uh, he came and had a breakfast and I was lucky enough to get invited by a wonderful host named Eddie Alderete <laughs> to that breakfast. And um, it was a group of pro-business conservative leaders in town. And everybody was asking questions about social issues. And, and to this day, it's bothered me because I kind of looked around the room and I said, we are part of this problem, guys, because we're over here and we have a person that who, who has decided that he's most likely running for president and he's telling us- Which he now is. Which he now is. Yeah. And he's telling us that he likes pragmatic pro-economic policy and all the questions he's hearing from us, the pro-business advocates, are about current issues that are not business related. Now- I would say that I asked the immigration question and not from a social stance, but from a labor and economic stance, right? And, and you know, uh, he answered it well. He answered it the way I would hope as a somebody in the development and construction business and who's worried about uh, inflation continuing. He answered it the way that I would hope he answered it. But so I think part of this whole conversation is keeping focus and staying on the business issues. So final thoughts in uh, what would you advise the business community to do uh, moving forward and next steps for them uh, to continue in this transition, transformational process of upping their game, so to speak? Get involved, get engaged. As you say, get off the bench. Um, it's time for us to, to step out and to really, really make sure that we are on the right road to develop San Antonio to become, you know, this, the top number one city in the United States for the, from the tourism side, from the business side, from the finance side. Um, we have every opportunity. Greater SATX has been really good about ensuring that we are developing the way we should to be able to attract the companies that we should to be able to attract the jobs that we need here. And it's our job as a business community to make sure that we are engaged. Don't just be so focused on on your on your business, but look at the community as a whole and what you can do as a as a business leader to help put us on that path to tremendous growth in the next ten to fifteen years. Paul, final thoughts. My final thoughts are: I think the, exactly what Christina just said. I think people need to engage in in current issues, but I also think uh, one of the missing pieces is that we're so busy putting out fires that we're, um, lacking a cohesive vision of what the next 10 to 15 years looks like in our business environment. And a lot of that stuff is happening to us geopolitically. Some of it's happening local, locally, but having a vision and saying, you know, how do we set ourselves up? How do we set the genas and the future genas up of the world to be able to recruit people? So you, you, you look at things like education, Absolutely. And that 50% of our students right now in Bear County Public Schools 
are below uh, grade level at reading and math. And if you want to talk about going from or expanding your options about who you can bring to San Antonio as major employers that pay high wages, that's something that we need to be figuring out now. Mm -hmm. You look at demographics, baby boomers, most of the ones that have- Why are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, most of the baby boomers that, uh, let's just say, have money are already retired. Um, the last baby boomer turns 65 in 2029, 20, 2030. Uh, and so you have the largest mass of people in the workforce capital in the economy that's going to go into save mode. And you have a smaller generation that's going to have to figure out how to produce enough for the baby boomers to consume and the millennials to continue consuming, right? And hopefully in 10 or 15 years, the millennials will have a bunch of capital that they can put in the economy and, and kind of save save us, whatever. But the short term is that we're gonna have a labor shortage. How, what are we gonna do to fix that labor shortage? This is a whole other topic that you, <laughs> you and I spend a lot of time on and, yeah. and you need to come back so that we can dedicate a, a an episode of the podcast just to that. I'd love to, because I've taken probably too deep of a dive into it. And then, <laughs> no, <laughs> and I it's mean, scary. it's, it's, yeah. it's very important. Paul Basildua, Christine Aldretta, thank you both for being here today. Beyond the Bite is produced by Aldretta Strategic Partners in San Antonio, Texas, edited by Nick Chamberlain of Every Word Media. This episode is available wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to be notified of new episodes, please like, share, and subscribe. Our Twitter handle is at BeyondTheByteEA. Or if you have thoughts, ideas, suggestions, or feedback, send an email to BeyondTheByteEA at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.